0: Welcome to the Growing With Nature podcast. I'm your host, Darren Williams, permaculture enthusiast, restoration ecologist, and founder of Growing With Nature. Too often, we hear that the best thing we can do for nature is to leave it alone. But people are a part of nature, and you can make the living world around you come alive with abundance for people, plants, and wildlife, even in your own backyard. Join me on a journey through regenerative soil building, permaculture, restoration ecology, and more. To learn concrete steps you can take at home to support wildlife, grow incredible, delicious food, and help heal our living world right in your own backyard. Ready to get started? Grab a shovel, roll up your sleeves, and let's make the living world around you come alive. In this episode, we're going to look at strategies for managing wet areas on your property in a way that heals the living world and cultivates abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. Often, people try to drain wet areas and get the water off their property, but this causes all sorts of problems and often damages the living world and makes the land less resilient to climate change. Let's dive into ways to manage wet areas on your property. In urban and even rural areas across the United States, rainfall tends to be gathered up and then moved off the land as quickly as possible. From stormwater drains in cities to drainage tiles in rural farm fields and drainage ditches, it often seems like the goal is to get Rid of the water that falls naturally on the land. And in many ways, this is understandable. We've built our cities with large amounts of impermeable material that doesn't give the water anywhere to go. This can easily lead to flooding if the water isn't quickly drained. And modern farming practices don't generally work well with wet, flooded fields. But there are other ways to manage wet areas that don't rely on draining the water, that instead focus on strategies that build resilience to climate change, support wildlife, and even provide food for your family and community. In the rest of this episode, we're going to explore some of these strategies for managing wet areas and talk about why wet areas are important in the first place. And if you like what you hear today, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us, people like you, who want to bring these skills home to enjoy wildlife, grow more food, and help heal our living world. Okay. Let's get started. Wetlands are magnets for wildlife. Birds, frogs, dragonflies, and so many other types of wildlife call these places home. I started my career out as a field technician, collecting samples and taking measurements in ponds, streams, and wetlands in England and in Washington State and Idaho. Since then, I've gone on to lead and manage projects to restore these critical areas. And it's always amazing to see the wildlife return to these areas once they're restored. On our property, we have an eroded gully that I've been working to restore into a complex series of ponds, wetlands, with multiple stream channels connecting it all. The result has been amazing. Ducks, geese, frogs, salamanders, dragonflies, caddisflies, great blue herons, tons of songbirds, and even a transient beaver and many more have all moved in or visited our new ponds and wetlands. Plus, native wetland vegetation like willows, sedges, and rushes are thriving, and we will be planting more over time. The result has been the creation of habitat for all sorts of insects, including native bees, which love the early blooming willows. Healthy wetlands are always filled with an abundance of life. And you can turn a wet area into a healthy wetland. Wetlands don't have have to have water in them all year. Seasonal wetlands do a great job at supporting wildlife. Currently, our wetlands are seasonal. They go dry in early summer, but despite that, they're still filled with abundance. So what can you do to manage wet areas for wildlife? A great first step is to plant native wetland plants in your wet areas. Here in the United States, willows are often a great choice. I often plant willows, but other great uh, wetland plants native to Western Washington include Pacific ninebark, Red osier Dogwood, Black Twinberry, and Douglas Spirea. And there's a wide range of sedges and rushes and all sorts of other wetland plants. Planting native plants will add beauty to your wet area while also providing habitat for wildlife. You know, creating a rain garden out of your wet area can be a great next step. According to the Rain Garden Handbook for Western Washington... A rain garden is a landscape area that collects, absorbs, and filters stormwater runoff from rooftops, driveways, patios, and other hard surfaces that don't allow water to soak in. Rain gardens are sized to accommodate temporary ponding after it rains and isn't meant to be permanent ponds. Simply put, rain gardens are shallow depressions that can be shaped and sized to fit your yard, are constructed with soil mixes that allow water to soak in rapidly, treat runoff, and support plant growth, and can be landscaped with a variety of plants to fit the surroundings. I put links to that handbook and other resources on rain gardens in the resources section of the show notes, so make sure to check it out. Even if you live outside of western Washington, you should still check out the handbook and the other resources. Most of the information can be applied to other areas of the country and even the world. Just make sure to look for plants native to your area. Creating a rain garden can be a great option for managing wet areas that stay small and are seasonal. Examples could be dealing with water collected by your rain gutters or runoff from a driveway or sidewalk. If your wet area is currently being drained, consider digging out a depression for the water to collect in. This is part of the process of creating a rain garden. Just make sure to include an overflow channel for excess water to flow out, generally back where it used to go. You don't want the water from a heavy rainstorm to flood your house or yard. You always need to have overflow channels, especially since extreme storms are becoming more common due to climate change. By letting the water pond up a bit and planting the area with native plants, you will transform what was just a wet area into an abundant seasonal wetland that will attract all sorts of wildlife. The same general approach works in large fields that seasonally flood, Try planting wetland plants like willows, sedges, and rushes. The wildlife will thank you. Wetlands, ponds, and other wet areas are very important for wildlife, but they're also important for making the land more resilient to climate change. Drought and floods are two of the biggest impacts of climate change, and draining wet areas makes both issues worse. When you drain a wet area, you're channeling that water downstream, and when everyone does this, it can cause flooding downstream. Instead of spreading out and soaking in across the landscape, the water is concentrated in downstream areas, which can make flooding worse and more likely in those areas. When I worked for the USGS as a hydrotech, I got to visit all sorts of streams and rivers across eastern and central Washington. At each, I would measure the height of the water and the flow of the water. It was a great job, and I got to see amazing places that few people visit, hidden waterfalls, abundant wetlands, and rocky canyons but I also got to see the impact of draining water off the land. When the land around a river was highly impacted, the result would be big pulses of water quickly moving through the system. These spikes would happen after big storms, and especially when rain fell on snow. The result would be flooding, and also erosion causing the rivers to cut down into the land. All this flooding and erosion is bad for fish, other wildlife, and people. And the water quickly leaves the system, making droughts worse in the summer. But it doesn't have to be this way. When rainfall and spring snowmelt are instead allowed to soak in, the flow of water across the landscape spreads out and is slowed down. This gives more time for the land to absorb the excess water, and reduces the impact of flooding. Instead of a big pulse of water moving through the system, you instead get what on a hydrograph looks like a broad, low hill. The same amount of water still moves through the system, but instead of showing up over a short time period like a few days, the water might take weeks or even months to move through the system. Instead of flooding and erosion, the land is instead rehydrated and fish and other wildlife have the water they need. While I've been talking about this on the large scale, the same issues apply on smaller scales, even in your own backyard. Does the water from your roof, driveway, and sidewalks flow off your property, or does it have space to collect and soak in? The more you can slow water down and let it soak in, the more resilient your property will be to summer droughts. When water has time to soak in the soil, it becomes groundwater, and groundwater moves far more slowly than surface water. Plus, groundwater is what your plants need to thrive. So by slowing the water down, it will stick around in the ground for longer. This reduces the impacts of summer droughts, since your plants will still have access to water that fell during the spring. And if we all did this where we live, the cumulative downstream impacts would mean fewer impacts from droughts and less flooding and more habitat for wildlife. As important as it is to manage wet areas for wildlife and climate change, there is another benefit to this approach to water management. And that is the day-to-day benefits these approaches bring to people. When we bought our property in the summer of 2016, the middle of our property featured a dry gully covered with invasive plants that was being steadily eroded every winter. It wasn't a place that my family and I really wanted to be. There was just nothing drawing us there. But today, after several years of work, we have ponds, multiple streams, waterfalls, wetland areas, and lots of native plants. And my family and I love spending time in these areas. We've gone swimming in our ponds, and my kids love to splash around in the shallow areas. We often go exploring in our willow forests, and we're always finding bugs, frogs, and other types of wildlife in the ponds. Even in the summer when the ponds are dry, we still go exploring in these areas. And we're also working on getting edible wetland plants established in these wet areas. Cattails, springbank clovers, Pacific silverweed, wapato, and many more are all great examples of native plants that can be grown in and around ponds and wetlands and that are also edible. You know, all these native plants are edible and they can provide large amounts of food. There are other edible plants like blueberries that we plan to grow in these areas too. Blueberries will be grown up on raised mounds next to the flooded areas where the cattails and other plants will be planted around those mounds. The point is, there are lots of great food plants, some native and some not, that can be grown in wet areas. I often see people struggling to grow food in wet areas. The problem is, they're often trying to grow traditional food crops that just really don't like wet areas. But there are lots of great wet-loving edible plants that would love to grow in your wet areas. When you manage wet areas for wildlife and climate resilience, You will create a place filled with beauty and abundance that you and your family will love. And if you want to, you can still grow food in this area, especially if you plant native edibles. It has been amazing to see how our land has transformed in response to managing our wet areas for wildlife and climate resilience. Not only is the land more abundant, but we've also created an area that our family loves to visit, and every year it gets even better. You don't have to manage wet areas just for wildlife or just for climate resilience or just for people. When you slow water down, spread it out, let it soak in, and plant native plants, you create the conditions that benefit everyone, including all the life that share your property with you. If you live in an urban area, creating small rain gardens or small garden swells are all great options for managing water in a way that doesn't need a ton of work. A shovel and a wheelbarrow are all you need to create these. Just make sure you have a plan to deal with excess water. Once your rain garden or swells fill up, you need to know where the water will go. A good option is to direct that excess water back to the original drainage system that already exists on your property. The goal isn't to keep all the water, just as much as possible without causing harm. On our property, the original goalie flowed off our property onto our neighbor's land into a a downstream wetland. While our property can hold a lot more water now, It still fills up, and when it does, the water continues off our property in the same way it used to. This allows us to keep more water on our property without causing any problems. Once you've started to change how you manage wet areas, the next step is to observe and see what happens and make adjustments as needed. I like to start with small changes and then build on those over time, as I have time to see how the land responds. This way you can catch any issues when they're small and learn from them. And it really, this is a great way to start. When the rains come, you know, just throw on a rain jacket and go see where the water goes. Look for puddles and flowing water, especially water that is flowing off your property. Then see what you can do to keep more of that water on your property. Just start small and build from there. Even a log or some rocks placed across the drainage area, we'll back up a little bit of water and just let a little bit soak in. I've put some links in the resources section of the show notes that dive into how to build rain gardens and swales. And I've also included links to a couple of great books by Brad Lancaster. Both books dive into specifics on how to slow water down and soak it into the landscape. Brad lives in Arizona and has transformed his urban lot into a place of abundance through rainwater harvesting. So make sure to check out those books and the other links in the resources section of the show notes. And stay tuned for our next episode, where we will look at microclimates and how to get started with them. Alright, I hope you enjoyed that episode, and thank you for listening to the Growing With Nature podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to our patrons over on patreon.com. Thank you, patrons, for supporting our work. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us, people like you, who want to bring these skills home to support wildlife, grow food, and help heal our living world. Well, that's all for now. See you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week, and keep on growing.